always look to leverage developing technology to improve what you do. And that's in any aspect of life. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capital Girls City Center with my guest, Eric Fiddler, President and Chief Executive Officer of Lavoro Technologies, Inc. How are you this afternoon, Eric? Oh, I'm good. It's a good, fine day to be in Houston. It's sunny. It's beautiful. Yes. It's the calm before the storm. <laughs> so before we get into it, I wanted to ask everyone to take a moment to leave a review in iTunes to help the show out. And thank you in advance. So, Eric, let's talk about how you got started in the industry. I started in the industry wiring turbines in 1979 to pay for college. Really? Yes. How'd you fall? How'd, how'd that stumble? A friend of mine was an engineer there, and I was needing money for college, and I asked him for help, and he helped me get a job with the company as an electrician. Well, that's a good friend. Yes. <laughs> so where'd you go from there? Increasing roles of responsibility and automation. So from there to panel construction and more... Uh, complex installations and calibrations, and then from there to drafting, Mm -hmm. and then from there to engineering as I graduated, and engineering tech, and then engineering. I had time in the field tuning things, design processes, automated platforms around the uh, offshore platforms around the world, designed complete facilities in China, a couple of fields, and uh, implemented uh, in, in China. We put in the first uh, system that PetroChina had their facilities built, the automation in place, the wells turned on, flowing through the facilities with the automation on the scheduled date. All right. This was back in the mid-90s. And from there, I went into management roles, leading sales teams and running business units. Where'd you get your degree in? Mechanical engineering from Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Bulldogs right No. <laughs> Dang. Dang. Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets. That's scarier to me. <laughs> Those bulldogs are bad guys. Uh, that's well, uh, <laughs> based off of last week with Bevo trying to take out the bulldog. So, yeah. right, <laughs> his intentions were good. All right, so you want to elaborate a little bit more on? I started the uh, early career with a significant amount of time in the field, automating and improving brownfield facilities. What's a brownfield? That's an existing facility that they have some things on it, and they're looking to either increase the production or deal with increasing water quantities. There's a bunch of different reasons why an EMP operator would go back into a current facility and change what they were doing, right? Mm -hmm. And and those were the type of projects I was on. And I would uh, get involved in revising their automation, putting in new automation, and automating new processes that they were adding to their facilities. Okay, to increase efficiency and right. And in doing so, I had, you know, significant time with my hands in it learning how it all worked together. And I've applied that for the rest of my career because I can I understand if you move one thing what the result, impact is going to be and throughout the rest of the process. Gotcha. All right. So so what are some real big challenges you you've had to 
I, I assume you've been through a couple of downturns, but <laughs> sorry to date you. <laughs> the first one was a, a, a real challenge because it was early career. I was working for a company and, and we went through a reduction in revenue that was uh, more than half. Okay. Right on that first downturn in the 80s. And uh, it was good for me because it created opportunities for me to jump up the ladder quickly because I had new ideas on how the company could survive and thrive. And they allowed me to go do that. They just let you do it, huh? They let me do it. That's pretty cool. And so they gave me the, they allowed me to take responsibilities and to help them find things that would generate revenue when customers really weren't generally funding things. And it put us back on a path to growth. Okay. Yeah. And so those downturns were challenges, but they were really interesting business learning opportunities. Almost seems like you would have an advantage during those times because of, you, of the automation and... The uh, ability to look at manual processes and automate how people do things so that they could get efficient and be able to operate with reduced staffs, reduced abilities, trying to do more with less. That automation experience certainly helped that. Yeah. So what made you decide to start your own company? In the back of my mind, it was something that uh, I'd been wanting to do. And the last downturn, 2014-15, created an opportunity for me to do something crazy, and that is jump into the middle of it and start a company. Hey, awesome. So let's talk about what your company does. So my company, or the, the company that I'm, I'm in, and it's, there's several of us in, in, in the Mai, we automate the process and work process around the oil and gas well site. Okay. Primarily onshore. And then we automate also uh, custody transfer and tracking of custody transfer data in the uh, midstream, midstream space. Yeah. Yes. And so we help that we streamline the flow of data from metering equipment. We collect it, we organize it, and we present it into their business systems in a way that the business systems understand without translation. Okay. And we do this in, with industry-leading SaaS, so software as a service. Lavaro has a series of applications. Our applications automate the flow out of the well, either naturally through a choke or artificial lift. Mm-hmm. We have onboard analytics that enable you to run analytics against the data on that flow pattern and tune it. We have applications that manage the process, so mm-hmm. separators, pumps, and tanks, and that sort of thing. We track volumes in tanks, and then we have uh, custody transfer tracking applications that that either truck to tank or truck through or tank through a lact unit or pumping through a lact unit. We uh, track the volumes of the of the fluid either in a batch each time it happens or to a contract period on a continuous basis and then we prepare all that data and we present it to various places in the customer's business system so into their SCADA system supervisory control and data acquisition into their production database into their work order management system into their accounting systems we push the data directly into each of those systems production accounting and so on and so forth gotcha correct Gotcha. And and so why is it more, why do y'all handle stuff more onshore versus offshore, just out of curiosity? Our approach is a single uh, system of process control, and then we have safety functions. And the onshore industry 
tends to do that in a very concise way. The offshore industry tends to do it. It's larger, separate systems. And at the time we started, that's where the activity was, right? We have a... And still where the activity is. still is where the activity is. (laughs) Now, you know, shallow sea type uh, facilities look a lot like an onshore well site. Yeah. Uh, Our stuff would apply there as well. Uh, The more, the larger, more complex floaters and... uh, and production facilities in deep water are very large, and they tend to look like a midstream application and a and a well site altogether. And that requires larger systems when that's not us. So you're very niched towards the smaller facilities. Very right. good. And data collection. Anywhere they're doing data collection, we do very well with that. Good. Good. Very good. All right. So in building this company with your team, what are some challenges you faced during that time? When first finding talent. <laughs> I think that's a struggle right now for everyone, really. Yeah, we've made a few uh, stumbles along the way, but we have a very solid team. Identi- uh, getting customers to see the approach that we take has been a challenge at times because we're doing things in a disruptive manner that they need to see it, believe it, and take a chance on trying us versus what they think they would normally use in such a circumstance kind of like a trial basis and just see how this works out yes okay and so naturally with any as with any startup cash is always a big challenge so one of the other challenges was making sure we had enough uh, resources to continue to fund our, our business as we got it off the ground and going very good yeah i'm gonna have to introduce you to jake corley and uh colin mcclellan with our startups podcast yeah, they'd be interested in that very much so. So we're two years in, and we're just starting to get revenue traction now. Oh, good. Good for you. Awesome. So now that we've discussed your, your journey, if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be, based of on everything you've gone through? Always look to leverage developing technology to improve what you do, and that's in any aspect of life. It's a belief that I've always had and something that I've pushed organizations I'm in to do, to keep reaching for the envelope with available technology. That's because technology is always changing and always being developed and it creates opportunities to improve how things are done. As an engineer, I'm naturally driven to look to get, find efficiencies. Even when you're doing something like setting up a buffet line where people are going to go through and get food, right? I mean, it's just... You, you look to uh, do it in the most efficient way, and each time technology improves or new technology is developed, it creates opportunities to apply that technology to find efficiencies. And so don't be scared of riding the ragged edge with technology. Very good. What book would you say influenced you the most? In business, it was selling the intangible, right? Because oftentimes the things that we're involved in in our company today uh, selling i've always been involved in bringing services to the market oftentimes it's hard to have a very tangible story to tell around the value you create so selling the intangible helped me to visualize how to present what we were doing into the marketplace and be able to help a customer quickly and clearly identify value and what was brought. All right. What would you say is your most used business tool? My phone. (laughs) I think that's everybody's business tool, personal tool. 
And I was uh, calling on customers in Paris once, riding on a subway, and this was just a couple of years ago. So I had my phone out, and mm-hmm. I've got a map on my phone, and I wondered how I ever got around Paris before I had a phone. <laughs> right, oh, we get, used maps and stuff. You could get close on the, on the subway, but once you got off the subway and you got up onto the streets, it's such a such a maze, right? So, I mean, just in everything I do, I rely heavily on the phone as a tool to hit the Internet, to look for information, to buy things, make a restaurant reservation, send email, keep, keep up with what everybody on my team is up to. Right. And keep abreast and keep current. You know, we get a couple hundred emails a day. and Boy, I hear phone, that. The phone is a very useful tool to when you're on the go to just, you get a couple minutes, just flip through and clear some stuff out. Yeah. Answer and reply and do those sort of things. Keep in touch, yeah. And the good thing is our package enables you to use your phone to run your well pad. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so. That's, that's, that's really neat. Yes. Very handy. Keeps you from having to go out in 20-degree weather. and <laughs> well, Even when you get out there, right? So if you've, you've driven up to the well site in your truck mm-hmm. and you're trying to determine what I need to get out of this truck because I've got to get out of that 20-degree weather. And you can look at your phone, look at conditions, connect to our, our, our platform through a wireless connection with your phone, Wi-Fi hotspot. Take a look at what's going on what the conditions are, and start to hypothesize what you might best bring to. And we have analytics to help you narrow that down so that you get out of the truck, you grab the things you need, you do what you need to do, and you're back in and on your way. With the quickness. With with quickness, (laughs) yes. Excellent. (laughs) So who would you say is your most respected competitor? There's two. Okay. There's a large competitor. They have a very powerful uh, suite of solutions. And they're well, including instrumentation. And then there's a, a, a competitor that I highly respect that I talk to that serves one niche that we do. Mm-hmm. And we communicate regularly whenever we see each other at conferences to see, you know, how our companies are going. Uh, they have a very strong solution, very strong analytics suite around the, the particular niche that they serve. And they have good knowledge around building, t- building a device technology to run their, run their software. So you're just kind of keeping in touch and touching. Oh, we always do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, he, he told us we were underpriced. He was right. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> so with all your experience, what would you say is your most important lesson learned? Oh, that's a hard question. You warned me of that one. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've traveled over 100 countries and working in a collaborative way building consensus on anything you attack with the people around you so that you get a team working on the problem versus trying to solve it yourself works every time, makes it a a far better experience, both solving the challenge and meeting people and working together to uh, drive there. So I think the, the, the biggest lesson I learned, because I was an individual contributor for years and I would just knock everybody out of the way and, and, you know, go fix it or go do it. And a lot of times that led to, you know, ill will and not a great personal feeling either. And I would say developing skills around bringing a team together, creating a collaborative environment, reaching consensus on how to get after the the, uh, challenge, and then working as a team to solve it is a way better experience. Yeah, yeah, because I I mean, I've struggled with 
oh, well, I can do this better because I, I can do it myself and I, I, I trust myself. So I, I understand that completely. I don't know if this is necessarily applicable, but what's your favorite podcast? And if you, you obviously can't see because you're listening to a podcast, he's laughing at me right now. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad or. <laughs> you know, I, I think that uh, I occasionally listen to podcasts about investment and finance. And, right. Uh, like Seeking Alpha. Or... Right. And that type of stuff is probably my favorite podcast today. Okay. Right on. And so because I want my listeners to be very well-dressed and most importantly safe, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Thank you for joining me today. You got any good field stories for me? Good field stories. I was offshore putting in a system in China. And the, it was a, a joint venture between a Japanese company and a and PetroChina offshore, or CNOOC now. This was back before that, when they were all together. And wound up working Christmas Day. So that night, I sat on the heliport with the Japanese inspectors, and we drank Suntory whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> and sang Christmas carols. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had a story like that, but not so much. All right. So if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Lavaro, how might they go about doing that? www.lavarotechnologies.com. My email and phone number are there on the website. And uh, do you have a LinkedIn profile? I do have a LinkedIn profile. I think we just connected. So I'll be sure to put that in there as well. All right. So that concludes this episode. Just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.